Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats, welcome to another episode of the wonderful, incredible, unbelievable Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Our next guy needs no introduction, and I mean that. He literally needs no introduction. He's been here before. If you've listened to him in the past, you know who he is and what he's about. But he's had some interesting things coming up over the last six months to a year. So let's give a warm welcome to John Bullard. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And this is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you right now, one of my favorite shows that I've ever done. You both are just incredible. The support that you put out for everybody in the field, all the projects to come out, and just the casual conversation that always flows through your podcast, it's one of the best things out there. So if you're new to the show, you need to backtrack and listen to the other stuff, but I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. I'm saying thank you, but I'm also saying you have to be nice to us or Alice will slap you in the back of the head. (laughs) That is very true. Alice is definitely, yes, she is the dominant one, and we do what she says because she opened up her home, and we have a laboratory for the supernatural, so we do pretty much whatever she asks us to do. Yeah. So here is this quiet, unassuming-looking man, and if you see him on the street, you think, you know what? He's he's a good-looking guy. He's got really nice eyes, and then you're going to move on, right? But you're turning into a superstar in the paranormal community here because you've got the house in between. You've got almost exclusive rights to the house. And my understanding is that that place has been rocking lately. You've been on like every video show imaginable. You've been on travel channel shows. And now, and now you are a best-selling author. It seems weird to say it. I feel like I'm a. I feel like I'm a fraud. Like when you say I'm a best-selling author, I'm like that doesn't seem right. <laughs> I've seen the charts, dude. <laughs> I know it. It's it's awkward because I'm definitely not a writer. I do like to read some, but I'm very selective in the things that I read. So a lot of the things that I read have to be heavy visuals. So if you look at a peek through the veil, which is my book. Uh, you'll notice a lot of the art and the visuals that's in there, and it just helps break the stories. So I wrote this book based on having a casual conversation. It's an easy read, and there's a lot of visuals in there to break up the meat of the stories. So, But yes, I'm, I'm excited. It is truly a blessing. I've been doing the field for a little over 13 years now, and to have some of the moderate and mild success that I've had is definitely a blessing. And you know, there, there's a, literally a chapter in the book called Paranormal Pursuit, and it's based on the investigators in the field and doing what you do as a passion. And, you know, sometimes when people have success, you get scrutinized, and I think that's a shame. You know, if you're in the field for the wrong reasons, then, you know, you're never going to make it. If you're in there to be on a TV show or make a million dollars, then this is not the right field for you because there's not a lot of money in the supernatural and paranormal. No, there's really not. (laughs) There's not. You spend way more than you get on a return on investment. But if you do walk into success, like the house in between analysis story, you know, it's a true blessing to see the response for that documentary. And uh, the book is doing really well. I'm excited about it. But, you know, I'm never going to apologize for having success in something that I have a passion for. And and what Paranormal Pursuit, that chapter is about, is, you know, if, if I was offered a TV show tomorrow, then I'm going to take it. And you're going to see my annoying face on every TV screen <laughs> that I can get. But it's for the right reasons. It's to have a backing and to be able to travel the world and do something you love. So I want to make that clear. I think that, you know, with, with the Paranormal Supernatural, it's okay to have success. It's okay to be attached to something and you know, if, if anything, if you're a baker and you get the chance to own your own bakery and do that as a living, then that's awesome. You know, if you're an interior designer, you like to do stuff in your house, but you get the chance to do that on a large scale and people pay you, then you're going to take that opportunity. And it's the same thing with the paranormal. If you get an opportunity to do something you truly love, and the paranormal, the supernatural, and being an investigator is one of the few things that I've always felt like I was just natural and I just had a really good ability to do. So, you know, I'm trying to scratch and claw my way to the top where I can make it a a full-time career. Awesome. Can I just say something, tack something onto that? And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. Yeah. Yes, world, people cannot agree on things and still be okay with each other. Um, (laughs) If you're in the paranormal field and you don't want that, you don't want the TV show, you don't want the fancy social media stuff, you don't want any of that, that's okay, too. You don't have to be there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. 
Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think that that is, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, you do your passion for whatever you want to do it for. It is to solely document evidence and to put it out for the world to see and experience or to help people understand. Like if you're using camera equipment or like Gary Galka, who is a great guy, he's worked with Ghost Adventures for a long time, but he creates equipment. He's a retired electrical engineer, but he's done like the spirit box. There's a new device out that's in my book that he just created. He's done a lot of stuff and that's his passion in the field. His passion is to create devices. He did the Mel meter, mm-hmm. which his daughter who passed away was, yeah, her, her daughter is Melanie was her name. That's where the millimeter name I comes from. I always wondered. I'm glad you said that. I, I never knew the origin of the name. Yeah. That makes sense now. Yeah, it's really cool. So, you know, that's his passion. And, and that's what he's meant to do is to help the investigators in the field. And some of the, the devices that he's created has, you know, the trajectory that he's helped the field go is, is such a positive thing. So, yes, I agree with you 100%. And on the flip side, I, I also love what you said, which is, you can have a conversation or a debate with somebody and just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean that you don't like them. It's open conversation. And I think we've lost that. Now we're kind of getting away from all the paranormal, but in general, you know, it's okay to have a conversation or a debate. And uh, I miss that with our society. I think social media and keyboard warriors yes. and all that stuff yeah. has, re- has really just taken that away. And people are so quick to be so nasty to one another. And yes. Morgan Freeman, which is from Mississippi, which we love Morgan Freeman here. I love him. We love him from here, too. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> go look at some of the stuff he says, just about racism and, and, and about having conversations and debates. And, you know, I think literally that's one thing he said to a reporter uh, on CNN one time. He said, it's okay to have a debate. He said, that, you know, I, I still like you, you like me, but we can agree to disagree, and it's okay. But I think our society is so sensitive now that, like, if you agree disagree with somebody— you're a bigot, you're a racist, right, you're a right. sex, you know, there's, there's some horrible all those words. Yeah, well, all those words are thrown around so quick, and I think they've just lost their meaning. So. Yeah, and you know what? I 100% agree with you on that. And if it pisses people off, so be it. But yeah, have conversations. I know we're a little off track here, but have conversations. Sit down. Talk about talk about both sides. Don't scream. Don't rant. Don't rave. Don't call names. Especially don't yeah call names. That's what I was going to say. Don't Just, call names. Yeah. That's, that's so childish. Yeah. And and well, and this ties you know this ties back to the paranormal because um, oh, yeah. you know I've been in the field for thirteen years and we we're always going to have skeptics in the field and that's okay. That's what keeps it healthy and that's what keeps us honest. You know we need people who to, to challenge what we do and ask the right questions and. That's part of the house in between is why we opened up the house to some of the best in the world is because we knew how authentic Alice's house was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bringing Steve in and the, the credibility that he has and bringing physicists in and people to check the levels. And, you know, we wanted to do our due diligence to, you know, kind of debunk a lot of the things that people ask in a typical haunting. And it's neat to see when you bring those people in, they can't give you rational answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will tell you, uh, and I can say this because Kendall said I could. Um, we have been to that house and I am a, I'm, I'm sensitive. I pick weird things up. I'm usually right, but I'm also skeptical. And John could tell you how much evidence from our investigations I will not put out there because if there's even a small chance that I could call it something else, a trick of the light or an angle or whatever, if there's even a small chance, I won't, I won't put it out there. Uh, that house, Alice's house. There is not a thing that happened there that I could say was anything but paranormal related. That is that house is I, probably the most legit place I've ever been in my life. Well, look, I mean, I've been there for over ten years, and look, I have a very like selective mind. So usually, I like to hop and skip and do as many locations as possible, just because I, I love the history. I love going to new places, but. Alice's house is the only place that I've ever done as many times as I have. And doing a location on and off for over a decade, there's got to be something there that draws you back. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a revolving door because, like, we know there's, like, a baseline. I feel like there's a male and a female that's attached to the property that's always there. But we do feel like there is some kind of portal uh, or, like, a spirit hotel, I guess is another term that's been phrased. But you never know what you're walking into with that house. No, you don't. 10, 15 times, the energy can be very calm and mellow. But it can go zero to 100 real quick. And there's been times we went in and there's aggressive spirits. 
we've gone in and there's been very calm, mellow spirits. And it's interesting and it sounds crazy until it's not, but there's different personalities when you walk into that house. Mm -hmm. So you never know exactly who you're communicating with. But we do know, again, with the baseline, and there's chapters in my book about this, but uh, Teaching the Spirits is one of the chapters in my book. And that's based off the house in between because I truly feel and believe that what we've been able to do over a decade with the male and the female that's attached to the property is we built a relationship. Yes. And they're able to respond to us directly. So if you look at the chandelier, obviously that's a focal point. Uh, the baseball, that's a focal point. And we're still actively investigating the house in between. And we have created several other patterns, which I won't disclose right now, but no. we, we, we're continuing to actively investigate. But it's interesting to see that it's like building a relationship. It's like when you start dating somebody and then, you know, you get engaged, you get married. I know it sounds weird, but, you know, as investigators, number one, it, it's very hard to have a location that's open at your disposal 24-7. Yeah, especially for a decade or more. Right. So that's, that's very odd. But one of the things I write about in my book is I want investigators to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. And it's cool to go hit all these places because I'm guilty of it, too. I love going to as many different locations as possible. But if we stop and actually try to, like, reinvestigate some of these locations mm-hmm. five, 10, 15 times, like, what patterns can you create? And that's one of our favorite words, Brad, myself, Amy, uh, Alice, is the word pattern. You know, if you can create something and replicate it over and over again, that starts to show validity. And I think that helps us not only at the house in between, but just in the paranormal field in general. Yeah, I agree with you on that. John and I, there's a place, and I won't say it here, but uh, John and I, there's a place up north that we have been to multiple times that we're going back to for the same reasons, right? To to see if we're going to get the same thing, if they respond to us coming back, if, you know, maybe even try a few different things that we haven't tried in the past. Try some of the same things that we try and see what kind of results we get if they're the same. Uh, so we are deliberately going back to the, this place again. Is it four or five times now? Is this the fourth or fifth I time? I think time? it's fourth. Okay. So for like the fourth time. Um, yeah, pretty sure it's fourth. For those same reasons. And I, I think something, I think it was Kendall and Brian we were talking to not that long ago. And about when you're in a place repeatedly or for a prolonged period of time and the energy starts to get to know you. It's going to interact with you in a different way when it from when you first get there to when you've been there for four or five days or for the fourth or fifth time. It like learns you, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Am I making sense again? It makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. No, it, it, it makes sense. And if you're in the field and, and you do anything, you know, whether you are or aren't, but yes, what you're saying to me definitely makes sense. So let me ask you slightly off track from what we were just talking about. You've got, you're well known, all right? You're well known in the paranormal community, right? Everybody knows who John Bullard is. Everybody does. You, you can't not know who you are. You're everywhere. What made you decide to write the book? What, did you wake up one day and say, you know, Amy, I think I'm going to just start putting all this down in a book? So with the book, um, I've actually wanted to write the book for about eight or nine years. So I was only a few years into my paranormal career when I decided I wanted to start jogging myself. And the reason I did that is because whenever we would go to locations to do investigations, like uh, like I've been to the Winchester Mystery House, I've been to Villisca X Murder House, I've been to a lot of really cool places. So I took a lot of notes. And I like digital stuff. I'm a very techie person. But when it comes to investigations, I love a good old legal pad. Mm-hmm. I write down all my stuff. So I've always documented, I've always written notes down um, whenever we do EVP sessions and stuff, results, I'll write that down. So weirdly, like I've kept all that stuff and as many times as I've moved, I've kept that box and I have all my notes. And I knew eventually that I wanted to kind of compile um, almost like a paranormal handbook, but also stories in my journey. And really... I mean, I like that people look at it and, and respond to it and read it, but I wanted to write the book mainly for myself to leave something behind. So whenever I pass away, I think it's neat for my kids, my grandkids going sure. on board. That makes sense. I know, like, like, you know, looking back at my great grandfather, like, look what he wrote. This is some wild stuff. And I think that that was kind of a main motivation. Uh, after we did the house in between and we had this success, uh, I think that was really, really cool. And it kind of, 
set me back down to my mindset to really go back to wanting to do this and wanting to do it the right way. And I always knew that I wanted the book to be heavy visual. I wanted a lot of art. I wanted something that was not done. You know, there's paranormal books out there. You can go read The Haunting of Savannah. or I'm sure there's stuff on New Orleans. There's a lot of stuff out there, but I don't think that a lot of investigators, and look, I'm not Zach Bagans. I'm not Nick Groff. And, you know, there's a lot of really iconic people in the field, and they do have books out, and it's their stories and journeys, and I think that's great. But I wanted to be that middle-level investigator that documented their journey for over a decade and was able to put out, you know, my thoughts in the field, my journeys in the field. And there's a lot of things that I write in the book that they're just my take on stuff. Like one chapter is is on equipment. Mm -hmm. And I chose 10 pieces of equipment to write about. And seven of the 10 pieces of equipment are not paranormal tools. Yeah. Uh, For example, like music is one of them. You know, that's not necessarily a paranormal tool, but uh, music's universal. So if you've never used that in your your investigations, I think you should definitely give it a try, whether it's period music, whether it's current music. Yeah. Um, I I truly think that that can draw a response. And we've, we've documented it several times. I go back to the word pattern, and we've been able to create some patterns and locations based off music. These are a lot of my thoughts. These are my things that I do, uh, like the spirit box that I wrote about in the equipment obviously is a paranormal tool, but what a lot of people use the spirit box for is not what I use it for. I use it to agitate the energy in locations. I use the white noise almost like nails on a chalkboard because uh, what, what I've experienced in a lot of the locations that I go to, if the uh, location's dead, no pun intended, then <laughs> we'll, crank up the, we'll crank up some spirit boxes and let them run for a while, and it almost energizes the energy and we'll start getting some responses. So I don't necessarily listen to the voices that come through the spirit box. I use it for a different reason. That's very interesting. Yeah, so it's just, these are my thoughts and things that have worked for me in the field. And I truly think that if other investigators implement it, I think that they'll get similar responses. So that, that was another reason that I wrote the book. So on that subject, is that your Vandergraaff generator that was at Alice's house? That is, yes. And how do you feel about that exciting the paranormal energy? It's a great question. So again, that, that's number six on my list of equipment. And again, not necessarily a paranormal tool, no. but something that, you know, and I think that the more we implement science and devices that are created for another reason and we pull it into what we do in our world, I think some of the things and some of the devices can really make a difference. And with that, the, the, the Vondegraaff, um, graph, however you want to pronounce it. It's like, you know, I'm from Mississippi, so I can mispronounce something. Okay. <laughs> it's um, not a mispronunciation when you do it. <laughs> well, we don't wear shoes. so I don't um, either. <laughs> but basically, so basically, you know, for people who don't know what that is, it's the old thing. You know, the kids would go up and put their hands on top of this uh, metal silver ball, and their hair would stand up, right? Yeah, straight so it out. Emits, it, <laughs> it, it, it emits a lot of energy. So if you think about any location that has intelligent spheres or energy, right, um, we always ask, or a lot of times I'll ask when I'm doing an investigation, you know, um, you know, use my energy, use our device's energy to communicate. Whatever you need to do, we're here to help you. Mm-hmm. So what this device does, when we plug it in, it's so strong, it'll actually send light, like the uh, chandelier in the house and other light sources, it'll make them pulse, yeah. right? <laughs> So it's literally like it's manipulating the entire like electric electricity in the house. Uh, my DVR system will completely just like black out. So, That's like, what after, I was like, going to ask. Yeah, you. We, <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. I have to admit we have to we have an admission to make. After we saw your neat okay. neat uh, device, we now and own the same it. one. <laughs> we, we we did play with it when we were there. We we couldn't help ourselves. Yeah. Um, it, no one died of a heart attack, so that was good. <laughs> If you di- if you didn't play with it, I think it would be weird. It's like it's like a kid, like a two year old, that's got a big red button that says "Don't push." Oh my right. god! What's yeah. that kid going to do? Right. So right. anyone going to do? We have one. We we, we do have the same one. one. And we nice. took it on an investigation at a known place, and, and it, it shorted out all messed the with the DVR systems. <laughs> it was like, oops. Uh, There's so, so much EMI going on so, in the air that it's just freaked them out. And they were hardwired, too. Well, so. my, my question is, does it do permanent damage to the DVR systems? <laughs> no, no. 
I look, what if I joked? I was like, so that's why my DVR system hadn't been working uh, for the last three. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but no, so, but if you watch it, so you'll, so you know, so you see how it affects the house and the uh-huh. chandelier and the lights and stuff like that. Um, so, but the thought process was, I mean, that's a visual representation of how strong that device is. Oh yeah, great. it's strong. Because, but so if you use, you know, EM pumps, which Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters, other people have used those for years, and that's kind of the similar tactic is that's pumping uh, energy into the atmosphere, right? Yeah. So this is just basically like that on steroids. Yeah. And the amount of energy that that's circulating in the house uh, is, in theory, going to make it easier for spheres to communicate. And if we've used it probably, I don't know, 15, 20 times, I would say at least 50% of the time we've been able to get a lot of really interesting audio and the activity is kind of spiked after we turned it off. I let it run from anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes. And this is a trade secret. Not really a trade secret, but this is what I do. I turn music on. So we play a lot of like really mellow music while we're letting the energy increase in the house. So to me, I really truly believe that music really can connect people. Mm-hmm. If you have an intelligent spirit or spirits in the house, I feel like that noise and the music and, and just the connection can really draw them out. And if you're giving them a, a source, think about a huge battery that you're plugging in. Yep. You know, let's say the spirits are like a fullness on 10%. You're plugging that device in, you're charging them up. Yeah. And then you're playing some music and you can calm them down a little bit. So when you turn it off and you start to engage, to me, it's almost like a therapeutic set, uh, setting or like give them a massage or something like that. I feel like if you can do your due diligence to make the uh, atmosphere charged and more relaxing, then I think that you're going to get a better investigation. And that's a process to do. Um, and that could be totally off base. I don't know. But I just know from my time in the field and doing what we do, we've gotten better responses doing this uh, sequencing process. Uh, you you touched on two things. One, and then one of them, I didn't even make the connection until you said it. But we, like I mentioned, we took this out with us to a well-known place that we go to frequently. I got concerned because it was shorting out the DVRs and it's a, it's an old wooden structure. And I was just, I got a little concerned and worried about it. And after about 10 minutes, I made John turn it off. And I will tell you that night, not right then, but later that night, we got a lot of activity and I didn't even make the connection to having run that thing for about 10 minutes or so uh, in the area where we got a lot of activity. As a matter of fact, until you mentioned it, the activity that we got that night was was kind of rough. We don't usually get bad activity when we go places, but that particular night it was kind of rough. So now I'm wondering if that was the cause. Yeah, uh, because our poor teammate got—I don't want to say she got tortured, but well, yeah, but also that was the same night her. that that natural electrical. Well, that's storm, true. It's the same night we had the thunderstorm. Huge, roll in too. huge wall from horizon to horizon. I mean. Uh, I can't even describe it to you. This, this storm that came through and over. And it also, uh, not in our part of that wall, but over about 20 miles or so, there was uh, tornadoes and destroyed some homes and stuff. <laughs> so, so did we cause that with the Vandergrass? That's what I'm wondering, because we had run it like an hour before or something, and then all of a sudden Blow out the DVRs and uh, cause a tornado 20 miles down the road. <laughs> the other thing that you talked about was using music. And... To me, that was interesting because one of the things I've noticed is one of the ways, no matter where we go, including our own house, when energy wants to connect with me, I always hear music. Alice's house, there was music constantly. Uh, This place we go, there's always music. Um, Pretty much everywhere we go, I hear music. And I'm always asking John, do you hear the music? Do you hear that? (laughs) What is that? I hear, and here's what's interesting. When she hears the music that she hears, I hear something different. I hear it, but it's not the same thing she's hearing. That's interesting. Yeah. I I hear more of a, almost like a trance, electronica trance type drone. And she hears like. Music. Raucous well, no, tonk. that was that one <laughs> yeah. night was the, the raucous honky tonk. But she for, hears full music. Like, but I a, hear actual hear music. Like a beat and, and percussive like music. I don't hear all of that. I hear a muted version. Uh, yeah, just different places. It's I just always hear music. So it's just interesting that you brought up that you use music. Um, I think that's something that people should explore more. Yeah, I know we're going to. I never would have thought of it, honestly, yeah. John. 
Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's really important. And like I said, it doesn't have to be period music. You can do your due diligence and look at the backstory of a location. Let's say they died in the 1830s. You can look up on YouTube 1830s music and play it. But um, honestly, you know, I make a playlist. I have a paranormal playlist that I use, and we use certain music, and a lot of it's instrumental, and it's calming and, and, and not crazy. If, if I want to get silly, then I'll do some stuff. Like, I'll throw some Rob Zombie on there if I feel... <laughs> Uh, you know, so it really, it really just depends and, and, you know, try different things and see the reaction, see what you get because everything we do in the field is kind of subjective and it's, it's experimental and yeah. some of the things will work. And, and I've tried a lot of things that didn't work and, you know, it's just, you have to have patience too. Like you said, you know, not initially when you, you did the device, but later on, whenever kind of the energy was charged, you got some response. And that's another thing we need to look at as investigators too, is how long does it take for, the energy that we're pumping into the atmosphere to be able to connect with an intelligent spirit and then them to be able to use it and communicate. Cause we don't know the timeline, you know, that, right. that's one of those hard things that we, and we always joke about whenever we do tours at the house in between is, you know, I tell people, I, right, I can't tell you that eight thirty or nine o'clock tonight, we're going to have a full body apparition walk down the stairs. Like we're working on getting that sequence where we can tell you that, and we'll all be rich when we can do that. Oh, sure. We're not <laughs> yeah. there yet. Um, <clears throat> you know, but it, the, with the baseball, and we've talked about this before, but at the house in between, you know, we put that ball on the stairs as a focal point uh, because it's hard. It's got stitching. So if it's manipulated, you can see it move. But that sat on the stairs for over six months before it did anything. And you look at the definition of insanity and it's yeah. like doing the same thing ever again, and expecting different results. Well, Yes, unless you're in the paranormal field and you just got to keep doing it. And eventually, and thank goodness we did, um, the ball finally came off the steps and then it started repeating itself and creating the, the best word that I have in the field, which is a pattern, uh, which can do it on command. So it's, you know, you look at Ghost Adventures, you look at Ghost Hunters, great shows. They do a lot of stuff uh, positive for the field to put it forward in the pop culture. But it, Sometimes these locations take longer than usual because if, mm-hmm. if if ghost adventures or ghost hunters would have came to Alpha's house in the midst of this, it would have just been another episode. Yeah, exactly. It would be kind of forgettable. But doing our due diligence and creating and and collecting the data that we've been able to collect over a decade uh, is really special. And I'm excited that everybody loves House in Between, and I know a lot of people have watched it five, ten, fifteen times. Oh, I yeah. think that's great. Oh, that's not one you just watch once. You've got to, yeah. Yeah, the, for sure, yeah. Yeah. And, but I'm hoping that, you know, with, with the success of it, we're still actively investigating it. The house has done more in the past eight months than it ever has before. So oh, awesome. We're just, we're hoping that, uh, you know, if Alice's story keeps uh, being circulated, that we can continue to share some of the things that's happening in the house in between because uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's like a puzzle. And every time we get a piece, there's like three other pieces that go missing, but the things that we've been able to document in the last eight months are truly incredible. All right. I've got a challenge for you with that house. Now, first, I want to say it was not my intention to talk about the house on this, but since you keep bringing it up, I'm going to keep asking about it. <laughs> Look, my book, my, book is, my book is a small part of my paranormal journey. So in any time that I can talk about Alice's house and the house in between, like it's, been, it's been part of my life for 13 years. So it's a lot easier to talk about the house in between. And I'm still like an introvert when it comes to talking about my book. Cause this, that the book is all about me and it feels uncomfortable talking about it. So yeah. I'm like talking about the house in between better. We were just talking about that, how hard it is to, to Talk promote yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're going to promote the hell out of you. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> here's, you. here's my challenge for you with that house. All right. I can't, I can't talk about specifically what happened when we were there. I can talk about the fact that we were there, but I cannot talk specifically about what happened while we were there. But I can say that I stood in the middle of the living room and said to the four corners, I do not want the same things that you do for, you know, you and Brad and Allison. I don't want the baseball. I don't want the lights. I don't want any. Show me something different to show me that you're intelligent. And, and man, did we get it. That's all we can say, but yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say, but man, did we get different. Yep. And I will say different than anything, anywhere, ever. My challenge to you is to stand in the middle of the living room, do the same thing, and see what the house does for you. And then let me know. Challenge is accepted, and now I'm really intrigued. Now, yep. 
You have listed in your book another piece of equipment I have a question on. I have you now. You're mine. Uh, (laughs) The DAS ANC. So that is one of the newer tools that Gary Mm -hmm. Galka has come out with. I have one on the way. It'll be here Tuesday. Oh, by the way, John, I bought another piece of equipment. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see why. Yeah. By the way, if you see that charge, that's what that is. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and I, I and actually I just sent a, a copy of my book off to Gary. So I've been talking to him back and forth, and I wanted to let him know that I wrote about the book, and he wanted a copy. So I, I wanted him send him a copy. But yes, so you know the spirit box is. Let me backtrack just a little, and then I'll go back to that. So audio, as you know, I think I've told you before, EVPs, analog, digital, anything audio related, is one of my biggest uh, passions in mm-hmm. the paranormal field. So the the title of Peek Through the Veil is um, something that I coined a phrase of what I experienced. So I'm not a medium. I don't claim to be a medium. I think there's people out there that have the skill set. I think there's people out there who claim to have the skill set that they do not, which muddles the whole thing. Yeah, but you're sensitive. I am sensitive, yes. It rolls off you, dude. You are sensitive. (laughs) Well, what, what I have is a Peek Through the Veil. That's what I call it. And if you watch the house in between, there's a great, very, I'm so glad they put it in the documentary, but there's a video clip of me in a cemetery mm-hmm. as a Justin Bieber uh, haircut swoosh <laughs> yes. when I was younger. So <laughs> we were just testing a camera out in the cemetery and you hear a little boy's voice say, in here, and it's whispered. It sounds like you talking to me. It's just in my ear and I react, but nobody else around me reacts. So that's what I've had since I was about 10 years old, uh, I remember 10 to 13 years old, I continued to start having that a lot more. I would see shadow figures. I would hear voices. So that's kind of what started me and propelled me into the paranormal field to be where I am today. It's just I wanted to validate and document what I experienced was not my imagination, that this is something that's legitimate and authentic, whether it's interdimensional, whether it's supernatural, whether it's demons. You know, I didn't have any answers for that. I just wanted to be able to document it and then people have open debates and conversations about what I was documenting because if it's not fake, you have to have an open debate about what it is. Right. So going back to the device, the DASAMC device that Gary made. So the spirit box, when I tell you that I use it to agitate the energy and that's the main reason I use it in the field, I do. Um, But there has been times where we're doing silent EVPs uh, and recordings and doing some audio stuff and then we use the spirit box and I've gotten some truly incredible stuff mm-hmm. out of the SB7 Spirit Box. I'm not a fan of the SB11, which is the near model. Um, I just, I've never had any success with it. But the SB7, the original device, I think is great. And basically all it is is a handheld radio that uh, the, the scanning device is broken. So it just continues to scan. You can do it in reverse and all that good stuff. and creates the white noise. But what the new device that Gary created was, it funnels out all the white noise so you can actually hear the clear voices that are coming through. So I do believe that the SB7 spirit box and some of the voices that come through, they are valid because we've gotten so many intelligent yep. responses to yeah. the SB7 before. It's kind of hard to like ignore it. And then we pair it with other things. So like if you're using REM pods or mail meters and like you have the temperature drop, you have two REM pods that go off and you capture like a crazy clear voice that comes through on the SB7 spirit box and calls your name out like you can't ignore that you no. know there's, no, you there's definitely some there's definitely validity in the field especially if you're running it in reverse at like 150 milliseconds per second and you start getting some direct responses it's almost like connecting it's like connecting wi-fi like if you're on your phone and you kept trying to keep you know you're typing in the wrong password and the wi-fi's not working but you finally get on somebody's wi-fi and you're synced in that's kind of how i feel like the sp7 is is once you connect to a spirit they understand how to manipulate and use the device because it's all kind of a teaching process at the beginning. And you can really get some really cool stuff out of it. And that new device we've used, and I'm still green and using it, but we've captured some really, really cool stuff. And not having to, like, say, did you hear that? Could you make out what it was? Funneling out the white noise to just hear the voices that come through is genius. It's really cool. Yeah, see, I am not a huge fan of the SP7. Because of the noise. The noise drives me batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you think yep. it agitates the spirits, why, it agitates Cecilia. It. Um, yes. So when I yeah. saw that, you mentioned it a couple of months ago. We were, we were 
going back and forth. Well, you mentioned it a couple of months ago, and I started looking into it. And it's something, if it's something that can truly filter out some of that white noise. Yeah. Then I've, I'm thinking it's got to be worth it. So hopefully, knocking on wood. Yeah, let me know what you think about when you get it. I think it's definitely worth the money. I mean, you know, none of the stuff is is cheap, but it's also, you know, they're all pretty much hand done. They're not like on a big assembly yeah, line or no. anything like that. No, you can't compare this kind of thing that's hand done and, and designed and built here in the United States by a person. You can't compare that to Chinese mass-produced goods. No. And John could tell you no. that when it comes to equipment, I am constantly, constantly on the hunt how to improve it, how to make it better, how to <laughs> yeah, constantly because I think this is the right track. I really do. I yeah. think having the scientific backup is, is the right track for maybe even making this more credible for people. I well, know what is, I see. Sure. Yeah, I know what I see. I know what I feel. I know what I hear. But getting other people to understand it, and, and am I saying that it's it's deceased loved ones? or No, I'm not. I'm saying it's something other than us. Whatever it is, right. yeah. it's something other than us, and I think we need to figure out what <laughs> you know yeah. that's what i'm trying to do so any equipment that can help yeah and gary you know he has a, tr- a proven track record in the field and mm-hmm. you now if you've ever used a millimeter yep. it's pretty much like a, a swiss army knife at the paranormal yeah you, know, you exactly. have your rim it's pod built in yeah you get your rim pod you get your emf you get your temperature you know like that device in itself is one of the most to me legitimate pieces of equipment in the field and it can be used as, for so many different things so yeah and it takes the place of several d- different devices that you would have to yes. separately set and maintain and place and manage and all that. And I lose stuff all the time, so I don't like to have multiple things. Uh, every investigation, I lose at least one piece of equipment. <laughs> I, I lost a piece of equipment for... I was just thinking about that. That's why I'm laughing. For months. We, yeah. we, we took a trip to Mississippi, and I had the piece of equipment, and then I lost the piece of equipment on the way back from Mississippi, and I thought I left it in Mississippi. And for six months, we couldn't find it. And then I bought a new one. And then I found it. It had fallen through a hole in my bag. So it was actually the between lining, the lining. Yeah, the, the lining had a hole inside. Now you got two, so now you're happy. No, I gave the other one away. I, the one <laughs> I kept my original one. It works better. Uh, it was a, It's gotcha. an EMF reader. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't even like a tiny piece of equipment. It was a, a bulky piece of equipment. Well, it was five times the size of the hole. That was. What yeah, was, that we still haven't figured that one yeah, out. Yeah, we still so. haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, it's odd. I, something that I love about your book, and I'm sorry I didn't get to finish reading it. Um, I have a horrible cat. He's adorable. He does really cute things. Knocking my coffee all over the book that I was reading was not one of the good things. No, that <laughs> was not one of the positives. <laughs> was not one of the positives, no. Uh, but I love that it's your personal stories. And I hear your voice when I'm reading it. You know, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. It's your your experiences, how you saw things. I'm, I'm flipping through the liquid pages now. <laughs> I see tripping on me. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm so sorry. And I know, I know you said that you're kind of introverted and everything, but you went and you put yourself out there. You put yourself on a hundred was 128 five pages, 128 pages, something like that. 150 it's pages, somewhere like that. 159 pages. There it is. There you Let's go. It up. <laughs> How do you feel about this? What goes through your mind? Um, I mean, it's it's number one on the new release chart. So, it, you know, it, I was excited to write it, to sit down and, and finally put it on paper was it, it was special. Amy got me a leather-bound book, and that's kind of what started my process and my confidence to start writing it out. Because I knew things, like I knew I wanted to write about location. I knew I, write, I wanted to write about some equipment. That was easy, but I knew I wanted to write about more than that. So breaking down everything with like structured investigations in the chapter, and that's basically kind of a, a shout out to all the investigators who do true investigations because it's obviously not as sexy as you see on TV. Oh, no. Um, and if you are a paranormal investigator and you go into a location and you're investigating for, you know, six, seven, eight hours or longer, you know, you have to pull footage of like four or five cameras, listen to all the audio and what that chapter is about, structured investigations, is basically, you know, I, I want you to be as efficient as possible if you're kind of getting into the field. And this is where the book kind of comes into like a paranormal handbook. 
it's A, B, C, D of what the most efficient way to do an investigation is. And to give out a, a shout out to all the investigators who go through the process to do all this stuff. And, you know, this, this really does have to be a passion because just because you go to a haunted location, even like Velisca X murder house that I wrote about in the book, which is mm-hmm. mainly active, you may go travel to Iowa and spend nine hours driving, which is how far it is for me. And you could go and get no evidence. Yep. Doesn't mean that the location isn't active. It's just you didn't happen to be on an active night. So it's just one of those things where you do a lot of sacrifice, you spend a lot of money, you do a lot of research, you invest a lot of time, and it doesn't always pay off. But if you continue at it um, and you're able to capture evidence to help propel the field in the right direction, you know, that's a shout out to everybody who does that. Because it's a very, very in depth process. So I think people who do it the right way should be give them more credit than we are. And, you know, so and going through some of the other chapters, which is teaching the spirits. One of the chapters I wrote about, which is the feedback I've gotten, it's one of the favorite chapters is doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote about that chapter based on several things in the field. Number one, it's just cool. It's cool to say the word doppelganger in general, but um, based on the field, you know, there's a lot of investigators who have gotten some evidence or some audio or something like that, that they thought could have been legitimate, but it sounds just like somebody else's voice. So you have to throw it out. Right. So Steve Gonzalez, ghost hunters, when in doubt, throw it out. So there's a lot of things that we thought were, you know, credible and authentic, but just because if you have to question it, you can't put it in the documentary and we respect that. But doppelganger is about something that, you know, if you go into like the Mississippi house, when you guys went in there, if you would have captured an EVP that sounded exactly like your voice, then it's hard to like authenticate it unless you have video on it. And I have several examples of that. But if we're asking these energy, you know, the, the uh, spirits and these intelligent entities to draw from us and our devices, it makes sense that these spirits would mimic our voices, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit about what I read about in, in Doppelganger is that sometimes just because something sounds like you, you need to go back and do your due diligence and hopefully you have something recording so you can see yourself. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I think that some of the audio we capture that sounds like us is not us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not as uncommon as you would think. It's not at all, but it's not, but I feel like it's not talked about enough and, and it's not, you know, there's not a conversation about it. So, you know, just because, and I understand it and I, I respect it. You know, if you have a recording that sounds like somebody and you don't have video, you, you pretty much have to throw it out, you know, but if you do have video, like Amy and I were in a place uh, during the daytime, then abandoning, uh, they use it as a hospital in the civil war. And we captured an EVP that was so clear as a full sentence. And it sounded exactly like her voice, but luckily we had a still camera shooting at us and we were just standing there at the time. So it was an authentic EVP. And uh, cause I let Brad here, I let Brad hear the audio and he's like, that's Amy. I'm like, <laughs> sounds like her. But he, and then, I, then I sent him the video link to it, and he was like, huh, that's interesting. So right. just a good example of, of, of what the spirits can do when they try to mimic us. Well, that's, John can tell you how crazy I get because I want all angles covered for, for things like this. No, that's, that sounds like me, but you can see clearly see that I'm not talking from the video. Or, yeah, that shadow could be mine but you can clearly see from this angle that i'm not even over there you know i i drive him crazy i really do because <laughs> i've got cameras everywhere i've got audio everywhere it's like no we we need to make sure everything is time stamped correct and everything is is in sync and we need to be able to say yay or nay yeah when we go back to listen quick i hear this on my digi recorder right i have a little digi recorder it's my favorite thing i'm never without it i hear it on here at this time at this, you know, this second, go pull it up. It's camera eight, you know, and, and he'll, he'll go and we'll look and we'll look it all up and see, all right, that was, that was a bird at the window that we heard, you know what I mean? Or no, there's absolutely nothing there on the camera. So I don't know what that was. And, and that's one of the reasons we, I am so crazy about it. And I do, I make him crazy. And the fact that he has not left me at the side of the road somewhere (laughs) says a lot about his devotion to me. (laughs) There you go. But I mean, but that's a great example. You have to do your due diligence and all this stuff. And, you know, so, but with the book, I was excited to write it, to put it out there. Um, and I was confident as I was writing it. Each chapter, I just put everything I had into each chapter. 
and I, I just kind of blanked out. So when the book was coming out, I really had never, I forgot about what I wrote and some of the stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I felt confident at the time and I knew that in my head, but I felt very unconfident when it was coming out. Like when I started seeing people's Amazon shipments were, was arriving Thursday or Friday, I was like, yeah, I was like, this might've been a bad idea. <laughs> like, you know, cause, <laughs> cause like the house in between, um, you know, if, if it sucks or there's scrutiny about it, it's all of us together in a project and I, you don't take it so hard, but when you put something out like a book, it's just solely based on you. Yeah. Um, you know, the criticisms come straight at you, but at the end of the day, I feel confident about confident about what I wrote and all the content. And again, it's open conversation. And one cool thing I'll talk about real quick is the visuals. Um, did you do them? So I wish I did. Cause they're awesome. No, I did not. They are great. They're all based off of things that I experienced. So I knew that I wanted charcoal, black and white paintings and drawings. And I had several local Mississippi artists that I reached out to. We just didn't have the same vision. So the beauty of social media is you can connect with people, not only all over the country, but all over the world. Yeah. So I started searching haunted art and I actually found this guy, Andres Blanco. He's from Chile. So we actually connected through Instagram. I've never met him. I've never talked to him on the phone. We created this relationship through Instagram Messenger and email. And we were able to do 33 pieces of unique art based off communication. That is awesome. Only uh, written communication, yeah. So I would give him detailed paragraphs, and he would send back the image. And he just blew me away. I gave him two examples to see what he could do at first. And he came back within 24 hours. And I was like, yeah, this is the guy. And he's not an artist. He's self-taught. He has a full-time job. Oh, cool. And, uh, that, that makes it even cooler, honestly. Oh, it's, it, he's truly incredible. Um, but yeah, he did, did a great job. And I'm hoping uh, at the end of this year or next year, I would love to fly him over. After Hopefully all this COVID stuff will kind of simmer out, hopefully. Uh, but I would love to bring him to the house in between and meet him in person. Oh, that would be awesome. I'm trying to look at some of these pictures in here while you're talking. They're, they're kind of covered in coffee, but... <laughs> yeah, kind of. But no. <laughs> page, uh, page 112, which is the doppelganger picture, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorites. That is the creepiest just, picture on the planet. That's all I'm saying. He just he did such a good job. And, and for example, um, let's see here. Teaching the Spirits, which is page... Just go to 105, you'll see it. It looks like 108 from here, but okay, 105. Yeah, that's a nice picture. And if, you, if you've ever stood at the bottom of Alice's stairs... Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it sucks you right in. It's oh almost, yeah, it's so great, you know. So I sent him. I said, look and and see, you know, I sent him a picture of Alice's stairwell, and then that was it. So he saw the picture of the stairs, but then after that, you know, I gave a paragraph description. I wanted me at the bottom of the stairs. I wanted to be pointing to give direction to move the baseball, and then he took that vision, and then that's what he created. Very very interesting. <laughs> I got to get this guy over here too, because he claims to have like a supernatural ability too. This is after we talked. This is like three months into our process. It took six months to do all these pictures, but it's interesting that the, the, the paintings and the drawings that he's done and, and the validity and some of the stuff. So on chapter, or I'm sorry, on page five, which is the mm-hmm. witch, there's a picture of the witch. Yeah. Um, I did a podcast the other day because that was a recurring dream I had, and that was the witch that I saw in my dream. That's how he drove her. That was specifically, I, I made that picture for me. And there was this guy from New York I was doing a podcast with, and like I, he got like white. And apparently, since he got into the field, he's had this recurring dream with a witch as well. And like she looked identical to what he experienced with the arms and everything. So, I don't know. It's weird. Like his pictures are like resonating so much with people. It's very, very interesting. So what the house in between, what's so unique about that house is again, I've been doing it for over a decade. I know how authentic and real the house is. So I never question it. And I like when people come in and they, they, they're skeptics and right. they don't believe. And, and that's okay. My goal is not to make you believe. I'm not going to, it's like I'm, I'm a hardcore devout Christian. I'm not going to push my Christianity on you. I'm just not going to do it. So either I'm, I can I can show you what I do and, and the backstory behind it, and if something happens to you and you become a Christian or you become a believer in the paranormal, then that's on you. I can't force your hand. So whenever we would do tours of the house in between, um, every time we would have 
anywhere from eight eight to fifteen people, usually around ten people is what we do on the tours. I would do my spiel, Brad would do his spiel, Alice was there. And I would always ask this question before we broke for our first break. I would say, is there anybody who considers themselves sensitive? And a lot of times not many people would raise their hand. Every now and then somebody would. But we'll have one person stand up and I'll say, Okay, I'm gonna write something on this piece of paper, we're gonna put it right here in the middle of the room. And then I'm gonna have you walk the house. You're gonna walk upstairs in the laundry room, living room, kitchen, the bedrooms, bathrooms, walk the house, come back, sit down, and tell me if any place in the house feels different to you. And I would say, you can ask Brad this, I would say ninety percent of the time. So I'm saying nine out of ten people will peg exactly what I'm talking about. Wow. And so to me, that's just validation. Like that's just showing you like we believe how authentic this house is. You walk the house. Most people, even if they're not sensitive, you can start feeling some different stuff around that property. Yeah. So, you know, it's a blessing to be attached to this house and kudos to Alice for opening it up and yeah. you know, all the stuff that she's done and wanting her story out there for the world to see. So she's she's a very special person. She really is. She's probably the best person I've ever met in my yeah. life. Yeah, that's that's about the only way to put it. She, she's like an yeah. angel personified. I don't know. She just gives off this energy, and you just you just want to to hug her and be around her, and she's just good. Yep. You know what I mean? She's just good. <laughs> she deserves all the good. She does, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna divulge this, or, or I'm not gonna tell a lot of her stories personally <laughs> because. I truly believe there should be a book written and it should just be called Alice with her, her face on the front of it. But the impact that she's had on so many lives mm-hmm. that people don't know about is truly incredible. I mean, she has violently helped put people through college and school. And I mean, she, she has done so much for yeah. so many people and she's just one of those people. It's just a unique soul that yep. the world needs more of. Yep. Yeah. Um, Couldn't agree more. I love her to pieces. I would do anything for her just about. But, all right. Getting back to the book. Uh, you have a section in the book called Haunted Objects. And I happen to know that you guys have a few dolls. That creepy ass clown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have, have they made a difference in the house? Uh, in your life? In Anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you call out the haunted objects in, in the whole chapter in your book. So I'm going to say yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, you know, I call it out for a positive and a negative. You know, just because you can go buy something on eBay that says haunted, it doesn't mean it's haunted, right? That's, right. that's a marketing ploy, and that, that's what I do. My main job is a marketing director, and I know how to dress stuff up and make it look pretty. But just understand that, you know, when you're anything associated with the paranormal field, do your due diligence and understand, like, what you have, validate it before you put it out there as a haunted object. And just because something's old doesn't mean it's haunted. Right. Right. Um, right. It also doesn't mean it's antique. It just could be an old piece of junk. <laughs> hey, don't right. call yes. Dawn a piece of junk. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that is very true. So, but yeah, and, and there's it's some of the most random pieces that I've found that actually have the authenticity of being a haunted object. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book is a painting that was one of the locations that we did, which is Mary Hope Mansion in, in Meridian, Mississippi. The big, beautiful mansion uh, has a lot of history behind it, but the house actually never had any activity until they put this painting in there. They don't know the origin of the painting. They don't know where it came from. It's obviously very, very dated. I think late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay. But when they put this painting in the house, they started seeing this woman in the house. Shadow figures, people hearing her talk, and we actually captured a shadow figure of this woman, like a silhouette on the wall. It's the only time I've ever captured an actual shadow moving on the wall and i have that on video so i have it cool yeah it's i mean 13 years i've captured it once so not very common no but that's that's a example of like a haunted object and painting and it you know my book is a lot of questions so i don't answer everything Mm because i still have a lot of questions as an investigator you know like why would something be attached to a painting seems so silly but at the same time like obviously there's some residual energy or something that's attached to this object I joke about it, but like one of the uh, the most uh, what's the word I'm looking for the iconic haunted doll. Do you know what that is? It's not mm-hmm. Annabelle. You, you want me to tell you what it is? Sure. It's Chucky. Uh. Right. <laughs> Chucky. There you go. 
So like, it, it's funny to talk about, but if you think about it, I mean, it's pretty much what we're, we're saying, right? Like there's something that's evil or possessed that they can, uh, body of the doll, which, you know, as silly as it is what Hollywood's done, but Chucky is a haunted object uh, in the scheme of things. But talking about you yeah, know, Annabelle, fiction. which is in fiction, right, yeah. for sure. But the concept is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, a, something demonic evil that attaches to an object. Um, so while it's not meant to technically be a paranormal movie, I mean, it's kind of what we're talking about. So you talk, you're talking about Annabelle, which is Ed and Lorraine's doll. I mean, obviously, it's not getting up and killing people and cussing people out. Right, but right. <laughs> it, <laughs> but loose, like loosely joking, it's it's kind of the same thing. But there there is several objects that I've captured over the years, and one of the main things that one of my one of Amy's favorite pictures in the book is on page ninety two. I love how you can spit out the page it. numbers. <laughs> it, it, it's in my hand. Don't worry, it's in my hand. So if you go look at, uh, this is the ballerina, yeah. the music box. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the objects that I, that I collected that it was a friend of a friend locally who said they had a attachment to a music box. The lady sold antiques on eBay. She was widowed and she had this object brought to her. She put it in her back room where she keeps all her stuff before she photographs it, puts it on eBay. And it was the only object she'd had in like several weeks. And she said when she put the object in the room, the same night and then following for the next couple of weeks, she would hear a little girl laughing. She would hear a ball bouncing. And the main thing was the music box would play by itself. So she didn't understand it. She wasn't into the supernatural, the paranormal. She just wanted the object out of her house. So I went and met the lady at Kroger in, uh, in Madison and she gave me the object. And I was like, okay. So whenever somebody gives you something that's supposedly haunted, you never know how authentic it is, obviously. Right. Um, but we put the objects in our house on the side room where we keep stuff. And it's probably the third or fourth night. But the object started playing by itself, which I thought was weird. Oh, yeah. If you look at the photo, it, it's a music box, and you wind her up on the bottom. She plays Happy Birthday. I think it's 60s or the 70s. It's not that old. Right. Um, Relatively speaking, yes. But it's interesting. Right, yeah. So, But it started playing by itself, and... Several weeks for like two or three week periods, not wound up. I would go out there and it was playing by itself. It was playing by itself. I was like, well, this is odd. Okay. So I do. I, I took all of my haunted objects. I brought them to the house in between. Mm-hmm. And my thought process was, you know, it's kind of like reconnecting family or energy. So I figured, that, you know, I know there's intelligent spirits at the house in between. If there's something truly attached to the objects that I have, I would want them to be in a space and a setting that's open that they can communicate with, that they can mesh together. I know this is weird. I sound weird talking about it, but like... You do not. I want to make this... Well, I, w- I want to make it as like open as possible. And, and if I'm attached to a music box, like I'd like to be where I can communicate with other people who are attached for some reason. But yes, to answer your question, I'm very long-winded. I think that objects play a huge part. And if you find truly authentic objects, putting them together... I think he can help you as an investigator. And there's there's a doll that we've had for a while that, you know, has made an impact on a lot of people. But I think that these people and these objects used as uh, catalysts, and I feel like they have my back in some of these investigations. Like when I'm asking for spirits to interact or somebody who may not be as well-versed in interaction with a person, I feel like these haunted objects that I've had for a while can kind of assist me in communication. So do you bring... You're a haunt like I know you have a couple of haunted dolls. Do you bring them with you places? Is that is that what you're saying that you take them with you? I do, yes. And yes. is there a I risk do. like to I don't know, having an additional attachment to once haunted, twice haunted? Is there a risk that somebody would have to be careful of? I think so. I think if you bring anything into an environment, I think you have to ask what you're communicating with because you don't know. And I think that if you're bringing an attached object with you, to help communicate, you don't know the other side of what you're dealing with. So I think there's definitely um, a risk that goes into it. And that kind of goes back to the locations part. But if you look at um, the locations part, the last location that I choose to write about is Glen Hollow. Mm-hmm. And that all of Glen Hollow is, it's not a famous location. It's just the house that I lived in. This is when I was doing heavy investigations throughout the country. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, is it possible for things to follow you back? Oh, yeah. The answer to that is yes. Oh, yeah. 100%. So to answer your question, yes. You know, even if you have a, a, an object that you feel has an attachment, you're putting it into a setting that you don't know 
who you're dealing with and what can pull you back. And I think the original Conjuring movie was great. Uh, and Patrick Wilson, one of the actors in the movie, they used a line that said, you know, sometimes it's not the location that's haunted. Sometimes it's you. Yeah. Sometimes it's like stepping in gum and it can pull you back. And that's very true. I think, that you know, I've never had anything stay that's followed me back in a haunting. But my house is not haunted. Unfortunately, I brought some really dark stuff back to me or back with me on, um, you know, I've had like a bobcat growl. I've had really, really wild stuff happen. There's a good visual rep- representation of that in uh, in the book on uh, Glen Hollow, which is page 53. John, you've got this book out. It is a huge success. And I know it took a lot of yourself and a lot of courage to put it out there. Uh, have all these people are touching it and reading it and, and everything. Is there going to be a part two to this book? That is a great question. You know, it took me 13 years to write one book, so I don't know. I didn't consider myself a writer. Uh, I really enjoyed the process, so And now my brain privately has spiraled off into a lot of subcategories of things I want to write about. I think there's a lot of things in the paranormal field and angles and concepts that need to be written about that have not been written about. So there's not any, any sequel right now. However, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm playing with the ideas of. And I'll tell you, this this is an exclusive. Somebody might steal my idea, but that's okay. But I do have a two-year-old, and he is obsessed with Halloween. Unfortunately, I think he's my child, right? Um, <laughs> so he's obsessed with, like, Finger Family, that song, the kid's song, Finger Family. They have, like, a skeleton Halloween version. And that's, like, his favorite song in the world. And I've, I've toyed with a lot of concepts, even to the process of, I think there's some really cool uh, children book ideas associated with the paranormal that could be history bound. Uh, so I'm thinking about stuff like that as well. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that sounds really, really intriguing. My mind went to a book called The Veil Peaks Back, but I think that a kid's book would be even better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've got my artists doing some sketches and stuff right now and putting it out there but there's it's just you know i've kind of i'm not a writer i think the word author is cool and it's weird to be a published author but you know at the end of the day i think you just have to be proud of what you put out and i'm 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 proud of the peak through the veil and i think it's a cool legacy to leave behind i love the art in it um just like i'm proud of the house in between and there's people who love it there's people who thought it was a swing and a miss and that's okay at the end of the day i'll, I'll put a message out for everybody just really you have a passion for something write it, shoot it, do whatever you have and, and, and just enjoy what you do. And you're going to find and connect with people who are on the same page and really appreciate what you do. There's always going to be people who are not into what you do and that's okay. You just have to be okay and happy uh, with the product that you put out yourself. And you, you have made such a mark in the community, in the paranormal field. I don't know if you realize that, but I, everybody knows you. Everybody looks up to you. Everybody trusts you. And for good reason, because you're you're honest, you're straightforward, and you're always trying to do the best that you can do. And for that, I appreciate it. And I, I can tell you right now, everybody else appreciates it just as much. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's that's very nice to hear. I don't take compliments very well, so it makes me uh, awkward. So. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate it. I'm there with you, dude. We're two introverts who connect over the internet, yeah. so we don't have to be face to face. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just yeah, that. yeah, exactly. John, yeah, John's sure. the outgoing one. Um, not me. Not you. Is Amy outgoing? Yeah, she is. You know, it's, it's funny, like. Because everybody, especially local, knows me as like the paranormal guy. So it's like the neighborhood we live in. And like we're doing a yard sale the other day, and and somebody walked up and they're like, "Here's the paranormal guy." And they started asking me all these questions. <laughs> and I feel I feel so like I feel so awkward. Like I don't right. like to talk about it. I'm like, this is so weird. I should be excited to talk about all these things that like I just kind of like clam up, and I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I never I never understood that. Like this is my passion. I love to do it and document and write and. But then when somebody asked me about it, I just feel right. awkward about like, talking like about it. Like on the spot. Well, well yeah, dude, I felt so uncomfortable. Dude, we will always we will always promote you. If you don't feel comfortable promoting yourself, we'll promote you for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and look, I, I'm 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 very proud about uh, the peek through the veil. It's awesome to have a book out and see the success that it's had, and I'm excited for people to look at it, read it, and. If you take something away from it, that's fantastic. The, the art itself in the book is really beautiful, and I think it's just a fun read, and you don't have to think about it too much. And 
I'm excited for future projects and, uh, who knows, maybe we'll, uh, we'll release a, a line of children's books before you know it. I have one last question before I, I release you from our <laughs> yeah. grasp. Yeah. Will there be a Kindle version for those of us who are somewhat blind? <laughs> yes, yes, and, and have cats and, and pour coffee on it. So, right. yes, uh, we're, we're, we are. So, the original release date for the book was August 1st, which is really the second, but today. So, we released it a, a couple weeks early. But mid-September, so I think the 13th, so a few weeks from now, September-ish, uh, there will be a Kindle version available. Yay! Awesome. For us old blind people uh, who can blow it you up. You like to, to make the font bigger? <laughs> yeah. Another way to read, too, because a lot of people like it digital now. You know, obviously, if you have a Kindle or whatever, uh, a girl that cuts my hair, her mom, that's all she does. She's going through, like, three Kindles because she burns them up because all the books. <laughs> and she didn't want to have all the books in the house. So it's like, yeah. So, you know, it's, it is 2021. Yeah, that's yes. where we're at. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, you have to have a digital version of the written written books now. Dude, you're not 40 yet. You don't, you should not be trying to figure out what year it is. <laughs> yeah, that's for us. I know. That's for us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's for the I over know. 50 crowd here. <laughs> yeah. But, John, I, I want to say thank you so much. It's always a, de- a pleasure and a delight to have you on. You're, you're so cool. Yes. Well, thank y'all so much. I appreciate you, and we'll reconnect and get back to Mississippi before the end of the year, and let's take some photos, let's high-five, let's talk about everything paranormal, and I cannot wait to meet y'all in person. Oh, I'd love that. We would love that. Yeah, yeah. you say that now, but then meet us in person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm quiet, I'm shy, and I sit in the corner by myself. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> John and I will be in opposite corners, and my John and, and Amy will be having a good old time. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, John. Thank you all so much. Hey, if you like what you hear, and how could you not? We are freaking adorable. Check us out as Crazy Cat Paranormal on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The links will be in the show notes. <laughs>